0: Sports Talk New York with your hosts, Mark Rosenman and A.J. Carter. Sports Talk New York is sponsored in part by Prince Associates, Send in the Clowns, The Phoenix Tube Company, CelebrityTrips.com, The Law Firm of Decolator Cohen and DePrisco, Solomon Jewelers, and Relish Restaurant of Kings Park. Here are your hosts. Mark and AJ. Joining
1: us now is a man who has and still wears many hats as he's worked in public relations at the New York PBS station WNET then at ABC News, A&E and Lifetime. He is a playwright whose credits include the critically acclaimed off broadway musical The Anthem and Mad Mel Saves the World, as well as dramas saving Stan, Ponzi Man and Right on Target. He also has published four novels, Loving Rabbi Th- Thalia Kleinman, Jesse's Girl, Take Me Out to the Ball Game, the man who wanted to play center field for the new york yankees and how to find a woman or not he joins us to talk about his latest work a Mound over hell it is a pleasure to welcome the man who is responsible for making sharknado a national phenomenon gary morgenstein welcome
0: gary Hey, guys. Happy to be on. Happy
1: Sunday. Our pleasure. You know, A Mound Over Hell combined science fiction, and AJ wants to talk a little bit right. about that, and baseball. It's set in 2098. Uh, for you Met fans, that's probably the last year the Mets will be paying Bobby Bonilla. But in the book, it also is after America's defeat in World War III by radical Islam. Science fiction usually is based on or is a statement of real-world modern events. So uh, I'm interested to find out why you chose the current clash between Islam and Western civilization as the basis for your future world.
0: Well, I, the idea popped into my head one Sunday morning. My wife and I were having um, breakfast. I was eating an Everything Bagel and listening to the Beatles. And it came, this idea came into my mind, what if baseball um, faced its final season ever? And in a dystopian world led by... Someone named Grandma. And I thought, well, that's a pretty cool idea, but now what kind of dystopian world and um, what kind of society would this be? And I thought America would have to lose a war. Now, if America lost to, say, Russia, that's kind of old hat. You know, that would be reminiscent of the Cold War. China would not be interesting. So as you, as you quite rightly say, good science fiction is, is rooted somewhat in the present, and then you take it to the next level, what if? And I thought the clash between uh, Western civilization and Islam would be very interesting. And in in the novel, America is surrounded, and baseball is associated with um, the old America, the America of being a world power, the America of being a democracy, the the failed America. And so there's no stadiums left. City Field is long gone, I'm sorry. (laughs) It's just Amazon Stadium, only Yankee Stadium.
2: Which, of course, has, you know bones and bodies still and, out and in the outfield more, right, have to be untouched.
1: Well, let me ask you, know, you a, a quick question. You mentioned that you were sitting down, having coffee, having an everything bagel and listening to the Beatles. You know, based on what went on in this book, I have to ask the question, were these edible weed bagels? I mean, where, where
0: were these bagels from, Gary? <laughs> <laughs> I, I could get you, I know the guy could get you some. <laughs> <laughs> so, but, you know, the, the cool thing, I, I love baseball, as, you, as, I, yeah. as I'm sure you, you can tell from, from reading the novel, and I love science fiction, and it's very rare that the two come together. I'm <laughs> sure there have been science fiction novels, but um, most science fiction writers... Don't think that uh, baseball will make the cut because it's nostalgic, because it's old-fashioned. So it would be, you know, rollerball or some advanced version of football and basketball. In in the novel, I have football um, being, you know, um, AR, you know, with augmented reality. So it's very high-tech, and baseball is very sleepy and boring, and there's holograms playing. (laughs) And so I wanted to turn it on its head.
2: So I, I, I sort of describe the book as a cross between 1984 meets Shoeless Joe, which is the book that produced Field of Dreams. Mm-hmm. So let's talk a little bit about, about baseball. You're a baseball fan. This is your third baseball book. So go back to how did baseball become a passion of yours, and what made you decide now to write write about it for a third time?
1: And marry it with science fiction yeah. as well.
2: Which is the next thing. Well, I, Love science.
0: I, I, there's a reason I talk like this. I grew up in the Bronx. And I grew up uh, six blocks from Yankee Stadium. And my first novel, Take Me Out to the Ball Game, um, I was working at Newsday then, and we were—it was that generation in the early '80s, which was um, more socially conscious and didn't believe that high school athletes should play in pain. There was something wrong with winning at any cost. Uh, there was that um, degree of fan violence. Remember, in the '70s and '80s, it was really scary for a while. So, Take Me Out to the Ball Game was about a, a reckless kind of a, a George Steinbrenner type owner who drives a team to win and. and you know, in, uh, intendants and all sorts of crazy gimmicks and doesn't care about the consequences. And then um, the man who wanted to play center field for the New York Yankees was kind of my dream because I, I worshipped Mickey Mantle. And in the book, uh, it's a baseball Rocky about someone who was a great athlete in college and he hurts his, um, his knee and then he decides he's going to attend an open tryout, which I sent Mark the, the video because yes. I actually <laughs> did that. Yes, I'm shameless. I will do anything to promote books including humiliate myself, <laughs> at an open tryout at Yankee Stadium. That was awesome. or, or
2: appear on the show.
0: This is good. It, it said, uh, I, couldn't, I could not hit a baseball when I was 15, and somehow it didn't get better when I was 30. <laughs> and, I mean, the night before the tryout, I, I, I talked to God. I said, look, <laughs> Marco is not using his talent. It's just, can you loan it to me just for two hours? And, of course, I got buckets. Which is one of the reasons I'm an agnostic, because you didn't listen to me. Yankee history couldn't have been changed. You saw the video. I had a lot going for yeah, me. But the thing is so,
1: you didn't classify which mantle.
0: You got his wife's <laughs> talent.
1: Okay. Right. you had to be so, more specific. So, <laughs> so, so now, I got Mutt
0: Mantle's talent, I think. Right.
2: So now now we understand Mickey Mantle's presence in, in this book. book. Right. Explain Ty Cobbs.
0: Well, I went when I started writing the book, I went through um a bunch of different um concepts okay i want the players to come back from the past i didn't want contemporary players if you notice there's never a a mention of hall of famers aaron judge or mike trout for example because you know as we know hall of famers uh doc gooden and daryl strawberry right? right you don't want to go out on a limb but i wanted players who would react to this um dystopian society where and react strongly and as you notice um Almost all the main characters are diverse, and Mickey is great because he is the Yankees in, in so many ways, and he you know he's so heartbroken at seeing what happens to baseball. Ty Cobb was not, according to um, legend, the most progressive person, so it's very good for him to come and see a world where you know there's no religion, and the banks are gone, and there's just people of color, and there's no one even mentions a distinction between gay and straight because it doesn't matter. So he has that reaction. So you wanted someone to react strongly to this world.
1: Yeah, you know, it's interesting because th- that's one of the things I mentioned to AJ. I, I said that obviously Ty Cobb was there. The irony because right. of, of his background and and everyone being so diverse in the book. But the other thing which is interesting about the book, especially when you're writing sci-fi, you know, it's almost like you know that game that was big when our kids were going to to high school you know, Sim City, where you create your own world, world. right, because this is what this is, essentially, when you're writing a sci-fi novel, you're creating your own world, and what you did, and, and in that world, you created the laws in that world. So mm-hmm. all acts of patriotism, from flying the flag to singing the national anthem, are illegal. Social media has been banned under the Anti-Narcissism Act, which you know could be named a different yeah. law if
2: uh, as as, as, we're, after, as we're journalists spend, by the way. Uh, <laughs> it it, it could be <laughs> named after yeah.
1: a, a current president, but uh, we won't yeah. go there. Uh, <laughs> religion is illegal. Children are revered. Abortion and the use of contraceptives are capital offenses as is pedophilia teachers police and doctors are the most trusted professions while the entertainment industry lawyers psychologists and banks are outlawed so there are so many political undertones to this book before we even get to the baseball so i want to know if if that's a reaction to what's been going on the last couple of years and had you written the book now would there be some laws in reference to guns and gun control as well seeing what's going on today
0: Well, that's very interesting, because when you write science fiction, you want to almost, in a way, be casual when you create the world. You don't want to put signposts like, oh, this is a reference to Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton or Obama or whatever, or the issues of the day. You want to just say, okay, this is the world. And remember, it's 2098, so we're 80 years ahead. And so I wanted to to create a world which was almost... Post-ism, I didn't want to create a capitalist world, capitalism, communism, socialism. I wanted to see uh, how far I can push it. And you're absolutely right. The the most challenging thing when you create science fiction is creating the laws, and as a writer, then being beholden to obey those laws. And there were a number of times where I would have an idea and create um, a storyline, and then I would say, well, wait a second, I can't do that. You know, notice this. There's, you know, there's cops. There's the brown hats who are the detectives. Now these are not, you know, hard bitten cops who can, you know, wink and nod and and um, look at files or or you know bend the rules. The, the integrity level is extremely high for policemen, so they have to go through a certain process. Uh, one of the characters, as you know, in, in the book, becomes pregnant, and I thought, uh, I thought, okay, well, wait a second. What what's going to happen? Obviously, abortion would have to be illegal because children, we've lost 13 million in the war and 4 million children because of all the environmental damage from the nuclear weapons. And um, so there's enough going. I don't even, You can when you create a world, you can only create so much. So, yes, there are really no weapons.
1: Right. Now there's the not o- even that issue. The other thing is you also make the robots faceless and, and you know, no... No facial expressions, Mm -hmm. which is interesting. And also the the naming of the stadium. So in 2098, Amazon still exists. Um, right. the fact that they didn't rebuild but, the stadium, I'm wondering if there, because there was still too many may, high tariffs maybe, you know, on maybe steel. Maybe
2: robots <laughs> take the place of the NRA as a lobbying group, because oh. they can do it. <laughs> <laughs> you
0: know,
2: you know, let's talk a question about, about the process but Let's not get too
0: political of, tonight. R- writing, <laughs> r- writing the book, yeah. Let's no, talk, I can get as political as you yeah.
2: want. Go ahead. <laughs> okay, let's talk about the process of writing the book. Obviously, you have a full-time job, right. and you work for sci-fi and you you, you brought a shark NATO So how did, especially in a book that is this Complicating, who's remembering the rules and the plot, and actually has considerable length. How did you go about writing the book? And basically, you know, if you're doing a movie, they have somebody called continuity who makes sure everything goes right. How did you make sure you had the continuity as you go through the process of writing this book?
0: I'm really not that organized, unfortunately. Um, My wife decided to take pity on me, and she created what she called a genius board, where you I do post its and I put them up, uh, and I often didn't refer to them. So I basically, it would be kind of like a, a maniac writing a novel of this length, because I make endless notes and try to work it out and hope that um, sometimes I say, "Well, wait a minute, what was that character named?" It, it, it gets a little chaotic, but as long as the plot goes forward, I keep track of it. Remember, this is just book one of the series. Right.
2: That's my next question. We'll get to that. In a... So, how, you plan? Do you set out and say, "I'm going to do a trilogy"? And have you figured out the, the, basic, end, right. the basic line for, for Volume for, 2 and for Volume 3? Yes,
0: yeah, but it'll probably go beyond the trilogy. I thought it would okay. be a trilogy in the beginning, but there's so much um, going on because, as you see it, it it's a world um, not only in America, but also in part, and it gets expanded in, in Book 2, um, going into the Caliphate. And um, you have robots um, without faces. Well, maybe there are other robots. And so I don't want to give away the end of the book, of course, but um, baseball doesn't end abruptly either. So there's a lot that could keep going on. And I've even discovered I'm writing book two now. And it's interesting because book two starts two hours after book one ends. And it's interesting. I've never written a book series before. So to me, it it was fascinating. It's fascinating to do this where you don't have to, you've already set up all the characters, but then you have to introduce other characters. So it just goes on and on, all the different uh, possibilities. This is a world that's at war, a world filled with hatred. And if there's any underlying theme that I have to get political, it's that hate begets hate and it's never acceptable. And I I, I think we live in a society now, sadly, where you can't explain things anymore. Uh, You can't explain a point of view without being accused of embracing that point of view, which is very dangerous because you have to understand. And so as a novelist, I try not to be too heavy-handed, but I want to put across points of view through my characters. And uh, I, I find the one character, there's two characters that I think, in, in my heart, are the contents of the book. One is Zelda Jones, who I just mm-hmm. love Zelda. She's the train wreck of a, of a, of a marketing person. Makes you love <laughs>
2: salmon salad, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, right, <laughs> right. And the other one is um, Azar Mustafa, Mustafa, the Muslim fisherman, who has the simple just a, such a simplistic um, wisdom to him, as he finds himself caught up in events that he couldn't even begin to imagine ever being involved in. You
1: know, there was, I have to tell you, there was one problem with the book for me, okay? okay. Knowing your background and being at the sci-fi, you know, I try to envision this as a program on the sci-fi network. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, you know, Puppy Nidic, every single time I read him and anything he did, I saw Ian Ziering. Uh, it was like, <laughs> and that was a problem for me. <laughs> so, I'm no, thinking ser- with
0: Chadwick Bosman. That's who I'm <laughs> uh,
1: Okay. So, that's what I was going to ask you. I mean, as you're writing this and coming from your, you know, wearing your other hats, can you see this a- as a series on the Sci Fi Network? Well, I think it
0: would be a really good TV series. Um, I don't think it would be a, a good movie, honestly, because it's just too much information, and the, the, the viewer would be just like, what? What, I, what just happened? Uh, I think that as a TV series, it would be really interesting. Um, you just need to have the chutzpah to do it, because, as you know, it's kind of rough, and I don't pull punches. And um, when, you know, the, in America, it's, there's no Muslims, and they're called Allahs because we lost, and we hate them. And in the Caliphate, we're crusaders, and there's no Jewry. Uh, So there's there's all that, again, you know, the banality of evil is what they, you know, about Adolf Eichmann to go back, um, because evil and hatred, it doesn't matter where it is. Uh, So you have to have someone willing to present it in that way. Otherwise, it doesn't work.
1: You know, we've seen television adaptations. Uh, I mean, how, well, I'm trying to think of the best way to put this. How married are you to that radical Islam, being the central part of it, um, to then maybe taking it to the next step? Could could you make changes to it so it would be something that would be on television? Or are you so, you know, the work is so much a part of you now, would you not make any changes? Would you wait for someone like maybe in Netflix or some other station, you know, or Hulu or someone to really embrace it the way it was written?
0: Yes, I think... If you take the piece of Islam out, it falls apart. It suddenly doesn't make any sense. It's kind of you know it's it's kind of um, warded down. I think that's really important. Again, um, anchored into the present time uh, because we don't you know the what if uh, when Philip K. Dick, who I love Philip Dick, um, you know but the whole what if concept, the Man in the High Castle. Um, it's pretty rough to see America carved up between the Japanese Empire, and the Third Reich. And uh, it's kind of brutal at times. And I think it's... I understand that a television is a different medium than novels, as is theater a different medium than... It, and the all has its own demands. So if you want to change characters a little bit that, and that, and obviously some storylines wouldn't work, and you need new storylines, which they've done in Game of Thrones, which is a you know, the classic example. But I think you really have to be willing to say, okay, what if the worst nightmare happens. And I think to many people, that is a nightmare. And as I try to show in the book, it's a nightmare to many Muslims as well in the Caliphate who want to um, reach out and say, well, let's have an Islamic enlightenment. Let's go back to how Islam was a thousand years ago when it was a center of tolerance and learning. And I think that I would like to explore that.
1: Definitely cool, cool stuff. You know, science fiction, baseball. At first I'm saying, like, Really? And then as you get into yeah, it, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's very, I'm, very
2: I'm cool. I've not finished the book. I'm farther along than Mark. Right. And you see more things develop, and I'm looking forward
1: to reading the rest of the book. For people out there, where can they get a hold of the
0: book? Well, it's um, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and Thursday, opening day, is the official pub day. So you can go into bookstores and order it.
1: And more importantly, where can we get those edible bagels? <laughs>
0: Offline. line I'll give you phone. Correct.
1: All right, Gary, okay. thanks so much for your time tonight.
0: Thank you. Thank you both. Okay. It was great being on the show. Take care.
1: Our pleasure. Gary Morgenstein, author of A Mound Over Hell, available everywhere on opening day.